Yep. Okay. We're recording. Yes, sir. Welcome everyone to the Rink Rat Report podcast. Uh, we're recording this Tuesday, October twenty fifth. Uh the day after, a little bit of a disappointing game in Vegas for the least. As always, joined by Josh and Jason, back in studio this week or back at the office. I don't know what you want to call it, but anyways, we're back. Full yeah. episode this week. Is there? Yep. Yep. All right. We're, we're going to get into. There was three games since we last recorded. Kind of funny that we're record. We've recorded three episodes in, within this season since the Leafs played their first game. We have recorded three episodes. We recorded. Listen to this trend. After the Montreal game loss, two days after or a day after the Arizona game, which was a loss, and now we're recording the day after the Vegas game, which, if you would have guessed it, is a loss. A little bit of a trend here. Kind of funny, but we're gonna go through the Stars game, Jets game, Vegas game. Um, then we're going to get into some themes from the week. There was a lot of some roster moves that happened, an injury that we, well, Jake Muzzin's injury happened before our last episode, but we got to see the decor sans Jake Muzzin this week. So give some thoughts on that. Nick Robertson finally drew into the lineup. We'll get into some of that and uh, some other things that have troubled the lease, some things that have they've done well. And yeah. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. So this Stars game, Josh, you got a good look at this one, right? Yeah, it was a fun game. Like, it was a lot of uh, a lot of power plays yeah. on either side. So not a lot of five on five. I thought the Leafs pretty clearly were the worst team at five on five. Yeah, but were supplemented by getting a lot of power plays. And this was sim- simply Nick Robertson's night. Like you could tell. I mean, it, w- it was basically a perfect night for him to debut because he playing against his brother. His brother's coming to town. His mom's in the stadium, and he played really, really well. Not even just the goal. I thought he was active. Had a, a couple good chances other than his two goals as well, and yeah, he ended up really being the difference in the game, basically. Yeah, I really liked he was getting to the scoring areas as well, um, winning some puck battles. I mean, as you said, aside from the two goals, he also had a couple other chances in there as well. Really gave that uh, second line that, that punch that was kind of missing from when they had Dennis Malgan, right? I mean, the thing that I really like about Nick Robertson, I might have said this last episode or previously, but he adds that shot velocity that the Leafs lineup doesn't really have. I mean, like, outside of Austin Matthews, William Nylander, like, who really has a hard shot? Nobody. Right? So adding Nick Robertson is is helpful. Um, But, yeah, this game... I'll get into my thoughts for the week from him later, but this game I thought he was he was fantastic. He really made his mark. You were at this game. I was at this game, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head with the too many penalties, uh, which led to Dallas's downfall. I was very unimpressed with how the Leafs played at 5-on-5. Five five. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was also some... This is like a little thing that is I don't know if it's easier to pick if it's easy to pick up on the broadcast, but there was a segment there where the the Leafs were had like a four on four into a five on four back into like a, another penalty. And I just, I just questioned the deployment of the defenseman at some points. It was just really, really odd. Um, there was a, a sequence of events. I think I, I mentioned it to you guys. I, I, and it was, it was just weird that we had a four on four going into a four on five and Sandin didn't see the ice at all. Giordano didn't see the ice at all. The, the three defensemen that were on the ice from that segment were Brody Hall and then Riley. And I, I don't mind the Riley thing. I just don't understand why Hall was playing there. That tells me, I think they, I really think they miscast. Like, what do they think Justin Hall is? Because they think he's so many of these different things. He can play 
penalty kill, which is sure, yeah, he he does play penalty kill. Yeah. But in a four on four, like kind of higher leverage situation where I'd say you have probably the better players to play against Dallas, like you should have the advantage and you throw out instead of Giordano or Sandin, you throw out Hall. I just thought that was a little weird, just the reliance on Justin Hall. Yeah, I, I even this player, I mean, it was his first game of the year, but Victor Mete, I mean, he's the fastest, he's the best skater on the Leafs, out of the Leafs defensemen, I would say. I mean, he's not, obviously, there's other parts to his game that the Leafs, other Leafs defensemen have over him, but in terms of skating, I think he's the best skater. Like, Riley, probably straight line speed is a little bit faster, but in terms of just edge work and everything, I think Victor Mete is one of the best skaters on the Leafs defense. And I say this, I mean, when you're given that four-on-four opportunity, that little bit more ice to play with, you want your fastest players out there because they're going to be able to take advantage of that extra bit of ice that's out there. I mean, that's why Nylander has scored a ton of points at four-on-four. Why is that? I mean, he's a fast player that handles the puck well, right? So, yeah, a little bit questionable that uh, they had Justin Hall out there. Uh, And, yeah, I think the power plays in this game saved them. At five-on-five, Dallas had... uh, clear edge but in terms of the way that Dallas played I mean they kind of shot themselves in the foot in the way that a lot of their offense was one and done they didn't really get anything sustained a lot of the chances they got were like they broke through the line they were kind of contesting they took a shot from pretty far out which is clear and Samsonov was able to challenge and there was very little rebounds that they they were able to to capture from I think the best chances they had were there was one breakaway, obviously made a good save there. The Leafs turned it over at their own blue line a couple times, which that makes it a little bit more difficult for the goalie. But then again, the shot wasn't that great either. And then there was a couple of chances where they missed because Samsonov was challenging well. But I think it was an, in terms of toughness for Samsonov, it was medium. I thought he played well this one, but not. they didn't give him too, too much to deal with. Yeah, and I was going to say, was that... Uh inability to convert on second chances was that more because Samsonov was really good at freezing the puck and not allowing those chances or just Dallas wasn't I think there was one or two times he he, there was some rebounds but I think I think he played pretty well in terms of that I think he's like it was it was like the the game plan that Dallas put forth like the offense that they put forth was not that hard to contain for him I would say the other two games we'll get into later because those were a little different I think the Leafs played the equivalent of a bend-don't-break defense in this game. Uh, Dallas really had no issue gaining the zone. The Leafs did a terrible job at protecting their their defensive zone. But when they got into that zone, they did an okay job of scrambling to contain the shots to, as Joey Mm -hmm. said, more of low-danger chances on Samsonov, and he was able to make the saves in timely moments. But overall, that is not a a recipe for success, the way they played defense in that game. I think that was reflected in games later this week i would say because against vegas that entered the zone with the same um i don't what's the right word at the same rate at the same clip as dallas did but they converted those into way more chances Mm -hmm. than dallas than dallas did that's because vegas is looks like a really really elite team Mm -hmm. yeah so any other thoughts we had on the the dallas game i thought matthew's kind of snake bitten and all three i i Matthews was snake bitten this week. We'll just cover it for all of them. He was snake bitten all week. It was crazy the number of chances he had, and he he still has that one tip goal, and that's it. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, I just want to stress that how crushed we got at five on five. We we uh, just Corsi four to Corsi against thirty five to fifty in forty minutes. 
in this game. Mm-hmm. So we did what was get the expected goals percentage? Expected goals percentage was 43.09, about similar. So And it also like it was worse in the first Yeah, two the, the first two the first yeah. two periods like they were like below 30% Corsi for oh. for both periods. It was, it was honestly almost embarrassing. And I was at the game with my girlfriend. She's like, "Why are you so grumpy? They were winning. They're like they won." I'm like, because <laughs> they deserve to win. Yeah, they deserve win to meters, yeah, not yeah. not in our favor. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been a tough battle that uh, deserves to win a meter. I tell you. Yeah, but also I will say like, it's good to have players like Jamie Ben, Mason March when they make a huge impact. Jamie Ben like almost not that he was the reason they lost that. He made a lot of really bad plays in that game. Yeah, Espe- well that three on one. Why is he trying to toe drag in that scenario? Like you could slip past right to the to your That's teammate. True. Like it was a crazy. And it was a two on. It was actually, a two on one. I, I'm just remembering that now. It was a two on one on a forward. Correct. Like, like you just <laughs> pass that right around him. It's a great A scoring <laughs> chance. I don't know why. Also, the area of he, the ice that he tried that toe drag was so close to the net. It was shocking, honestly. Yeah, that is. I didn't even think about that. Like if a young player did that, that's like like Torrello would bench him for that. Torrello well, would bench Jamie Ben for that. Actually, he doesn't care who it oh, is. Oh yeah, it's Peter DeBoer. I mean, yeah. wouldn't he have something to say about that one? But. Um, also, Marksman was like, everyone was saying how many penalties he took, which I think he took two or three, and they were stupid. But also, he was like really effective on the forecheck and getting pucks away from yeah, RD. Like, really, really he's effective. He's a very good player. Low-key, a bit of a complainer. I, I think a lot of big complainer. Okay, I, I, I don't know if it's comes, it, if it's, I don't know if it shines through on the broadcast, but almost after every whistle, he was talking to the refs. Ready? I'm going to do a, maybe a correlation causation thing here. Player who takes lots of penalties Talks equals players who complain a lot because they get a lot of penalties. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. There we go. So let's get into the, the Winnipeg game. Uh, I got a pretty look, good look at this one. I thought like up until this game, this was Samsonov's best game. I, I think Winnipeg moved the puck pretty well. And there was a couple instances where there was some decent puck movement and Samsonov was able to make some good saves. There were some chances actually that Winnipeg had. Like they hit the post twice. They overpassed it a couple times. I think there was one where... No, that was the win- that was the Vegas game. Never mind. But there was one I remember on the power play. They moved it around pretty well, and I think the guy had a an open net. They were able to pass it around the goalie and the defense, but the the Winnipeg player just was the wrong handedness and like wasn't able to face the net and get it on net. So he just overpassed it, kind of. But yeah, they got they got Samsonov moving a lot in this one, but he played pretty well. I mean. There were we did get the uh, the Ilya Samsonov playing the puck experience in this one. We got the full Ilya Samsonov playing the puck experience in this one. But I thought he was he was very strong and he he made up for it as well. Um, I'll get into my other. Actually, no, I'll get into it now because I'm going to forget. But I think it was Jason. Did you say that Samsonov looks a little bit clunky when he moves out there? Was so- no, I said that about Murray. It was about oh okay. Uh, then this throws off my point. But, but that, well, go, that, go. Was, that was before I, anyone saw Samsung. We said that on the first podcast. Yeah, that's true. I don't think we've made many comments on Samsung because like... I've made a few. Well, us like... It still ma- hasn't. I don't want to speak for Jason, but like simpleton goalie brain, like stop puck good. Don't need to comment. You know? Yeah, like, exactly. As long as we're not yeah. getting blown out by crazy numbers, like it's okay. But say the... I want to hear the points though. So in terms of Ilya Samson, I have a couple here. I'll just rattle them off. So with Ilya Samsonov, I've been very scrutinous of his game and I've been looking at it with a very like keen eye. I've been evaluating him so far this season in the regular season, everything at a level to like a Stanley cup contender. So like those goalies that were in the Stanley cup final 
Kemper at his best, obviously not what we saw there. So like Vasilevsky, Shesterkin, Kemper, we'll call it, um, the elite level goalies. That's what I have to, that's what you have, I've been putting Samsonov up against. So that's why I've been pretty critical of him. In reality, this was a guy that was not qualified and got $1.8 million for one year and is a 97-born goaltender, which is on the younger end in the NHL. At that value, Samsonov has been phenomenal. Phenomenal. Like, compared to expectations, too. Phenomenal. Do I still see some holes in his game? Yes, I don't love his reads at time. He can't play the puck worth of shit, we'll call it. Um, I get, think he gets a swim in a little bit too much too, but mm. he's able to make up for it a little bit because he's fairly fast. He likes to challenge, so he cuts off the angle really well, and he does some other things well that kind of make up for it too. So, but in terms of actual value, like so, in terms of being an elite level goaltender, I still he's not, obviously not there yet. But in terms of value for what the Leafs have, are playing right now, like a one point eight million dollar goaltender. They're getting fantastic value out of him. I have a question for you. So with Murray's injury, I think it's safe to say Samsonov will probably touch that Jack Campbell 49 game number that he played last year. I think way more. So, okay, at least. Right? That's all I'm saying. Right? Kind of in my – I've almost forgotten about Matt Murray. I've almost said, like, just <laughs> LTIR. But, yeah, whatever. Regardless. Who knows what's going to happen. With I don't think issue. they want Samsonov to play 55 to 60 games for sure. So let's say he plays no. 45 to 50 games. Is he, from what you've seen, going to give us what Jack Campbell gave us last year? Um, you can also absolve yourself from this question and say, I'm not sure yet. Like in terms of like 9.15 overall, I think he could hit that number. Like 9.15, I think. It, I think 9.26 or whatever he's at right now. That's that's very, very 932 high. 9.32 is what he's at right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So that's very, very high. But. Like I think I think in terms of nine fifteen goaltending, like just kind of smooth sailing all the way, not like what we saw from Campbell. Like the issue is, like I'm just getting a little bit worried because I'm like, oh, if the Leafs defense continue to play like this, and I said this earlier, like and like Samsonov doesn't have to be that that good. Like they're giving him a pretty easy assignment. But then you see that Jets game and you see the Knights game. It's like, boy, they keep giving him that. We could be in a little bit of trouble, but. I think in terms of nine fifteen, he could be. He could be. I, I'm fairly confident he could be around there. Okay, right? cool. So, it's uh, it's been good so far. In terms of the like, I could see. I thought you were saying it about Murray, but my comment was about that. Like, there's been a couple situations where the puck, like it's a pass across the ice, and he goes into a T push, and then the player gets the puck off pretty quick, the shot off fairly quick. So he goes from like almost a T, like he's pushing across on his feet, a T push, and then immediately has to get down into a butterfly. So it looks a little bit clunky, but it is the right play okay. to make. That's, that was my point I was going to make. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't know what you think, Jason, but he looks like he's going to be the guy for us. I don't really see. Yeah. Like Did Murray, even Murray's injury, it's going to take him a while to a get groin. back. How it's, not, it's not good. It's I not mean, good. We, ha we went through the groin experience last year with a similar injury-prone yeah. goal. Guess what happened to Peter Mrazek a few days ago? We also got hurt. Groin. So, it's, so it's almost LCIR. like we did. We gave away the equivalent of a second-round pick, got back a third and a seventh yeah. for almost no reason. I believe someone on this podcast said that this summer. What? Yeah. It was me. Oh. Yeah. How can I speak glowingly of Matt Murray when we gave when we ha we just got rid of Peter Mrazek because of injuries and we yep. just brought in another injury guy? But hey, you won a cup. 
Do you think the, the Leafs jumped the shark getting Murray before hundred uh, percent could get Samson off? Uh, like, well, like, or do you think they knew they were going to get Samson off too? Like, well, they probably knew they were going to get Samson off too because they didn't they sign him like right at free agency, like right yeah. right when it opened up. So there was probably a little bit of but finagle. The, but the no. funny thing is, like, I I, I don't think so simply yeah. because I think they're like, oh, like we can run a good tandem here. So I, I don't know for sure, but. I mean, isn't that I like if they got Matt Murray, then like what was your other option going to be? Were you going to fully be like, hey, like Matt Murray, 60 games this year, Eric Schalgren, 20 or whatever? Like, I don't know, but Matt Murray did start the first game. So this is going to get yeah. forgotten about in a long time. But like their idea of their starting goalie was Matt Murray. Yeah. Right. Are we sure that's what it was for sure? Yeah. Yeah. He started the first game. OK, fair enough. So yep. generally like that would be just my the indicator. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Like I think and it was supposed to start the third game. Yes, correct. I think we mentioned on this podcast a lot of times. Like, why don't if you're getting an unsure how he's going to play Matt Murray, why didn't you just sign Eric Comrie. Scott Wedgwood, Eric Comrie, one of these other guys, right? So Wedgwood went earlier. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying. Like Eric Comrie, I swear I saw something where he was close to to go into the lease or something of the sort. But, but yeah, that, I mean, Eric Comrie is two years older than Samsonov. Um, he got that second year as well, and he goes straight to free agency again. But the, I think the so point was like, instead was of it, Murray, you signed Yeah, Comrie. instead of Murray, not instead of Samsonov. Right, you signed oh. two one-and-a-half to $2 million guys instead of a one, whatever, Samsonov's one seven five and a $5 million guy. Okay, yeah. so that is, I mean, yeah. So why didn't we... Go Eric Comrie, 1.8 for two years, and then Samsonov, 1.8 well, for one. Yeah. That was, that as was, opposed to we went 4.6 for two more years of Matt Murray. Well, you know the answer to that. They like Matt Murray. Like, it's pretty obvious. Like That's it. That but trade still doesn't. That trade is it's still. It's a just, bad trade. It's not, it United makes sense, but it's still a bad trade. It's a horrible like it's trade. It's always been bad. And yeah. like you said, Samsonov playing really well. I don't think any of us expect him to hold this level of play, though. No, nine thirty. So the the like. the offense has to pick up for sure. Yeah, I, I would mean, guess maybe even shooting? next game. Like, what's the offense shooting right now? Uh, like, five on five, five point seven percent, which yeah. is two point four percent below league average. Yeah. So, I really like when I'm evaluating. I like to look at historicals and all of that. Right. And history tends to repeat itself. Right. Hopefully when did not. Austin Matthews kind of break out last year? Game 10, maybe? Yeah. Game 8, When? Nine, 10. Game 8? I don't know. When? November. Like, which game? When? Was it against San Jose? Was it in the, the, uh, West, the West Coast, Coast trip? trip right mm. before okay. when we did that Meat Mountain. Four goals in three games oh, yeah. right after we did that. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I'll make that bet right now, though, to be honest. <laughs> no? Ooh. Well. That was a. I don't want to. Do you know eat. where the closest Arby's is? No, I don't. I, from what I see, I don't know if he's ready for the explosion just yet, but he's definitely going to score a couple goals soon. Like that time, I remember. I'm like, I'm confident he's going to score a lot of goals very soon because he was like all over it. I think he's been snake bitten, but I don't know if he, that he's been all over it so far this year. Going, go on. What? I Why? Mean, what's the differences you're seeing? What has been missing from Matthews's game this year as opposed to last year? I don't want to say anything missing. I think some of it can be deployment. Let's blame it on the coaches because okay. I would never blame it on Austin Matthews. Like last night he was playing the top of the umbrella on the power play and at six on five, which mm -hmm. is like unbelievable. That's like 
you have your best shooter as far away from the net as possible. Like the simplest talking mind could th- could take that idea and say, why does that make any sense at all? And it doesn't. But uh, I think some of that, a lot of his shots are coming from the outside as opposed to from the inside. I think some defenses are probably playing him a little tighter in front of the net as well, mm-hmm. probably making it harder for him to get to those areas. And they've kind of just accepted the Leafs uh, that are they're, that they're going to cycle it a lot around and around and around without getting into danger areas. And I think, you know, his expected goals this year are not so far, are not up to what his normal clip yeah. would be. So that's why I don't think there's a massive explosion coming based off regression. But I think there's probably an explosion in terms of his play is going to get better very yeah. soon. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I mean, when you look at it, his one goal this year came off of a tip in front of the net. Like He, he hasn't we, beaten a goalie this year. He, he has not beaten a goalie with a shot. That as well as, like, have we seen him, like, no. in that those areas? Well, that was a high know? tip, too. It wasn't even in front of the net. There we go. Like, it's it's been kind of weird that he hasn't – that shot chart, like, of the front of the net for him, it's been kind of empty. Like, he hasn't been in that rebound tip kind of area getting those goals i wonder if it's teams playing us differently or i wonder if it's just like our that first line level of play just taking a little bit to get to i don't know if this is just purely anecdotal happened once last night and we'll get into the vegas game in a bit but um the the line of matthews marner bunting i remember a lot last year from january on a lot of their generation and goals were not from off the rush or quick plays entering the zone it was just just a wave after wave after wave of offense from them, right? Like yes. cycling so the puck, dominating, it was, tiring it was out their defense, you right? W- it, the puck went into the corner or along the side. We said this last year. They would win the puck battle. They would they would get the puck to the middle of the or into a scoring area or the middle of the ice, and they would take a nice shot. And they'd exactly. Have, and because of that movement, because of those wins, those puck battle wins, they were able to get a little bit more open. Each of them were able to get a little bit more open. And I mean, I have. I'll show you guys later. Or actually, no, I deleted. I believe. Hopefully, I still have it somewhere. But I put together like a two-minute video or three-minute video of all of the points from like Matt, where uh, goals where Matthew Marner's bunting got a point on the goal, and every single one was win the puck battle in the corner. Like one player goes in battles for the puck. The second one comes in, wins the puck battle, gets it to the third guy. We haven't really seen that. We've seen the puck battle wins, but then it just results in more perimeter play. So yeah. it's just about a matter it's a matter of getting that puck to the to the scoring areas, which they've had a lot of trouble doing so. Maybe that's just also because I I don't know, I, again, like just maybe galaxy brain, but at the start of the season everyone's like pretty fresh. So there's like less opportunity maybe to find those little areas as the season goes on, players get injured, players get tired, you get all these nicks and bruises that come with it. The good players like that can take advantage of those little uh, half second uh, delays in, than what would normally happen at the beginning of the season. I don't know, but yeah, there's just uh, whatever for whatever reason. It's the the line is that line has hasn't yet done it to the degree that they were doing it last year yeah. with domination. I still think they're generating shots. I still think they're they're getting well, they are chances. they, they are not, generating shots. And yeah, chances. it's it's not like they're not doing that, but it's just those the wave after wave of attack is, mm-hmm. is what I remember, and it's kind of the identity of this it feels line. Feels off head. exactly. There's something off about it. Maybe, but sorry, all good. <laughs> thought that was someone. Speaking. Yeah, I thought someone was talking there. But anyways, yeah. Uh, do we want to get into the Vegas game? Yeah, let's get into the Vegas game now. And how disappointing this stupid game was. Like yes. ten o'clock game on a Monday. Everyone has to go to work the next day. I had to go in the office today, so that was a, a lovely wake up. This game ended at like 
close to 1 a.m. too to make matters even better. And the Leafs went out there to start the game and put up a complete stinker. Wait, to start the game? To start every period. Start like every, every period. opportunity they had to get into the game? Yeah, there we are. It was crazy. To make matters worse, Phil Kessel scored his 400th career goal, and they challenged it on an offside and took it away, and then just gave up another goal right after that. Yeah. It's, like, absurd. The The crazy thing about this game, I thought the Leafs did not play well at all. Like, overall, not a good game from the Leafs, outside of Samsonov and a few plays here and there. However, they had multiple opportunities to take the lead in this game. And they just didn't. They went in after the second period, uh, after the second intermission. They went into that third period. They had some juice. They had some scoring chances. They looked like they had some life. And the start of the third period just looked like they went into the dressing room in the second and shit their pants and then went straight out back onto the ice and were playing with dirty pants, with dirty underwear. It was it was so frustrating. And then. Just having to sit there and watch that third period while you're looking at the time going, shit, I'm getting seven hours of sleep. Now I'm getting six and a half, and now I'm getting six, and it's okay. Let me see if I can get eight hours in five hours. Totally agree. I mean, the fact that that was a 1-1 game going into the third period was like not even remotely indicative of the play in that game. The fact that it was a 2-1 game halfway through the third period was also not indicative of the game. Like, they had... No business being in that game at all. That game no. on a different night might have been six one seven one, you know. Eight. The night like it might have been the night that Babcock got fired. Level of bad. Remember that one in Vegas? They came back, didn't they? And then and they then almost lost. won that one. And then lost. Is that what happened? It was they, so. lost they lost because Mark Andre sure. Fleury made that diving yeah, yeah, yeah. save yes. on Ilya Mikheyev. Right. And then, but yeah, it's getting, you know, like they're four and three. The Leafs are four and three. It's not a disaster right now, but I don't know. There's just some decisions and like the the fact like i i haven't played pro hawk like obviously right but just when a team comes out flat so often like what can you attribute to that like why do they keep coming out so flat well why are they so damn predictable when it comes to former leafs michael amaggio was on waivers for the leafs last season and guess who scored Michael Amadio. There we are. Nailed like, it. I don't know. Maybe this is just me being rude. Not trying to be funny here, but like, can we leave Sheldon Keefe on the tarmac, Lane Kiffin style? I mean, that's what I've heard a lot on the radio. A lot of the sentiment is like, even the lineup moves he's making are not generating any sort of jump. Like the the big guys coming in. I, that helped in Winnipeg. I that think. did. It that did. helped, and that was the right move. It wasn't even them like sticking up for one another. Like they had that. They had. They each had a point. They played pretty well. Yeah. Generated some chances, but both did take unnecessary penalties yeah. on top of that. But yeah, they, I think it juiced the lineup, and then just like you'd expect the same thing for Monday, and it just wasn't there. Well, here's the thing, right? That is supposed to have a ripple effect for the guys who have come out. So Engvall comes out. And not to scapegoat him because he's not the reason they lost, but he's been a reason why they haven't been that good this no year. No way, a third line winger wasn't the reason. Well, they lost. let me get let me get to <laughs> let me get to the end point here. They take him out and they put him back in, and I'm sorry, that was one of the most uninspiring performances oh, yeah. for a guy who needed a good performance that I've ever seen in my entire life. He usually, after a scratch, mm-hmm. responds very well. He, We've seen him score so many times, and he like 
What did he do? He buried one chance into the goalie's chest. Like, he had one chance. Statistically, he had a chance this game. Guess where it ended up? Right in the Golden Knights logo. Yeah. It, that's not going in on anyone. I'm sorry. And the reason, like, the, the shame is that the reason they had to bring up Clifford and Simmons is because the rest of the bottom six was so putrid. They had yeah. no choice. Uninspiring. Uninspiring. And it's funny because we talked about it. I, I said, like, I really didn't want to give these guys extra minutes because, you know, they're going to end up playing or extra years on their contract or sign them because they're going to end up playing. Yeah. And then, oh, they're very variable, which is true. They are variable, but they're also really easy to put back in the lineup, <laughs> especially when the guys who you've brought in and brought back to replace them, as we said in the offseason, are not good enough. That's it. That's the bottom line. The fact that Simmons and Clifford are playing game five, game six into the season is a, indicative of a lack of supplemental offense and supplemental forwards on this team. Yep. That's, yep. that's plain and simple, as honest as it can be. And again, I don't know that it even changed anything for the team. I don't know. I've heard Jeff O'Neill and Brian Hayes say on the radio, are these guys even like, do they care what Sheldon Keefe thinks? Does like, is he too much of a player's coach? I don't know. I have no idea. That's only speculative, right? I know. But we've seen a lot of just garbage, garbage efforts that are simply effort based. So I don't yeah. know. I mean, oh, you okay? Yeah. Sorry. Like, Pierre Engvall coming back at like 12% expected goals percentage. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. And that line should be better, honestly. It really should. I, I think Kerfoot and Yarncroft are good players. They have not been good enough either. And no. especially when they like. I, you like, even said Kerfoot had a good week last yeah, week. This, not this week, week was. Well, here's the not problem. Good. Like, they can be a good line if the third guy is a contributor. It, it cannot be a be. passenger, right? And Engvall, we've said he can. Be the best guy on the line or the worst guy on the line. Right now, he's nothing. He's just nothing. He's not doing anything. Zero. Which is goes back to our original point. Again, this is not Pierre Engvall's fault. But because of the way this team is built, it made Pierre Engvall an important player. That's the problem. Pierre Engvall should not be an important player on a NHL playoff team. He should be yeah. a fourth liner on an NHL playoff yeah. team. And this, this goes back to our point in the offseason, like you said, the depth. Just we did not supplement it enough. I want to reiterate how important it was that like how I want to reiterate the pieces that we lost because I feel like people forget. Yeah, we lost Mikheyev, right? But if you just sort by goals last year, right? Let's assume let, let's put Kerfoot on the on the on in our tops like quote unquote top six, right? And then let's look at all the other forwards. Okay, Ilya Mikheyev put up twenty one goals in fifty three games. We got to replace that. Okay, Pierre Engvall fifteen goals seventeen games. He's still on the team. Don't have to replace that. Andre Cash fourteen goals fifty games. Have to replace that. So that's about. Uh, like 40-ish goals, if my math's correct, between two players. How about Jason Spezza, 12 goals in 71 games. Have to replace that. And, like, after that, David Kampf, 11 goals. He's still on the team. And then... So you, got, you went out and you got Callie Yarncroft. Yeah. That's a decent replacement there. 15 goals, we'll say. Yeah, yeah 15 sure. goals. He's not and been playing like it, but 15 no. goals. And then you get Abe Kubel, who might... Had 11 last year, but... Might get 10, probably get, yeah. like... Do you think he's getting 10 this year? It's looking like a stretch. That's like, that might, right? Yeah. Um, who, who else am I missing? Uh, Zach Aston-Reese. Zach Aston-Reese, who probably isn't going to contribute. I'm not going uh, to... Let's... Interesting. Aston-Reese and Abe Kubel might combine for 35 points. Yeah. That's you, being generous. Wait, wait. Do you know how many shots Abe Kubel had this year? Two. Three. One. Wow. Yeah, That's so crazy. <laughs> but That's he why was I don't... supposed to be the McKayev replacement. 
I I no, I watched one ta- I watched one shift by shift of him and said absolutely not. But so why did they say that then? But like know, in terms crazy. of that's why I said that line doesn't won't work. Abe Kubel, Aston Reese, and Camp won't work because who moves the puck up the ice? They all are so bad offensively. It doesn't matter how good you are defensively. Like yeah. if you are just doing Zippo and you are zero threat in the offensive zone, like. You're, it's overall you're just going to be a negative. And I think some of that could have been mitigated if their third line was a little better, but their third line was also garbage. Yes, so that's very true too. It was very easy for them to say, okay, Engvall out from the third line, Aston Reese up, and to the two Aston big boys Reese did not. And then Aston Reese went up to the third line and put up a complete stinker on, yeah. against Winnipeg. He he was terrible there too. He did it's, nothing. It's almost like he was playing for that contract, and it's like I don't. This is maybe bad to say, but. His play preseason versus regular season has not been the same at all. No. He's not. He's uh, on top of that. He's not finishing his checks anymore. No, I don't understand what's like, going on. He like Kubel has, has registered a bunch of hits, right? Zach Aston Reitz has how many hits this year? He's 12 and six games, but, it's but also, I've seen him peel off on plays. I've that seen, he normally they, they, would. The problem is I agree. They can't transition the puck out very well. But also, they were not doing a good job of sustaining four checks. That's maybe the that equally as big part. I don't want to say that's big a bigger part, but for them, like if they're not sustaining zone time, it's terrible. It's useless because you're rinsing your defenseman, you're hurting yep. your goalie, and then you're probably getting the next line to come and like out. The four checking is zone. something all three of those guys can do. You they think. just weren't. But yeah. like Nicholas Abe Kubel, right now, there's no way he should be like. A playoff regular for the Leafs. He wasn't for Colorado. He was in and out, to be fair. Yeah. They had some injuries, but maybe he's your last guy. I don't know. He's replaceable, though. Like, a lot of guys on this team, they're replaceable. And I tried to make this point, and I made it in a very over-the-top way, but on the team last year, there was also a lot of guys replaceable. The core of this team is very, very small, in my opinion. Very, very, very small. So, there's a lot of replaceable guys. They haven't replaced them, though. So And I mean... Last game against the the Golden Knights really did cement to like in terms of feelings, like fan feelings, it kind of cemented how important John Tavares is because when he took oh, that yeah. puck off the side of his knee from a, a Rasmus Sandin point shot, and he went down in a heap of pain, and he had to be carried off the ice. Like, what was going through your guys' mind after that? Like, I for me, it was we're we're like shit out of luck here. If he's gone six weeks and then he has to come back and how's his play going to be when he comes back? Like I was, I was very, very, very worried. I agree. Cause I think Tavares so far has been the biggest like surprise bright spot for the Leafs this year. Like it's he's played good. really, really well. Um, that was scary that cause it looked like he, I, I knew uh, in my head, I was like, it's not that bad. Cause he got hit with a puck. So it's not like yeah. someone, like slipped under him, no Carlson Achilles situation, nothing like mm. that. But he probably just had like a nerve, hit a nerve, and he just couldn't, like, yeah. couldn't bear the pain. It looked pretty got, bad. Got dead leg. But knows? like you said, if it's not coming from Tavares or the top six guys right now for the Leafs, it's not. It's not happening. I'm gonna give you the statistical comparison. Okay, these are courtesy of Cam Charon's track numbers. If you wanna know where I got these numbers, find it on Twitter. So. The Leafs' first line had six scoring chances, which is not great for them, but it's it's not terrible. Their second line also had, sorry, their first line had seven. Their second line had seven scoring chances. So they had 14 scoring chances from their top six. That's not great. 
It's not bad. It's it's good enough. And Nylander scored. The rest of the team, third line, fourth line, Riley, Brody, Sandin, Hall, Giordano, Mete, had one scoring chance. One. Like I, Like we said, the problem with this team, if it doesn't happen up top, it doesn't happen. It's the exact same thing that happened in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't happen with the big boys, it doesn't happen. Now, I know Vegas maybe have a little bit has a little bit of a deeper team. They don't have as much money committed up top, even though they do have a lot of money committed to their top of their lineup. Their first line was insane. They had 13 chances. Their second line had nine scoring chances. Their third line had six scoring chances. And their fourth line had five scoring chances. That should be the goal for the Leafs, right? And that was against the Leafs' defense. So it's, I know they're not at peak performance right now, but that's where we need to get. Yep. And, I mean, when you look at it against Dallas, so outside of the top six, there was one chance on the third line and then two chances by – one chance by Riley, one chance by Brody, and one chance by Mete. That's taken. Even set up the same sort of number, right? And then against the Jets, it was a little bit better because Camp had three chances, Clifford had one chance, and then again, like it, Sandine two, Giordano one. But it should be a lot better because the Jets aren't the best like defensive team in the. They're like one of the worst defensive teams in the NHL. So you'd expect like against that that team, who I feel like I, I don't know, I haven't looked into the Jets roster recently, but I feel like they've also lost like their their stronger pieces of their. Uh, bottom six Nick Ehlers over the years. Is out. That was a big Nick Ehlers, Ehlers is out. Like, out. so they don't. They already I mean, don't have a strong bottom six to begin with. The fact no, that our our bottom six isn't able to generate against them is a glaring issue. Considering that that's not that's not really a their, playoff. Their D core right now is not that bad. Their D I'm is not, fine. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm not talking just specifically about the. I'm talking about more team level defense yeah. and like the bottom six that they like our bottom six would be playing against. PLD hit the post twice in that game. Too. He was active in that game. Yeah. If you want to circle maybe a trade guy, maybe. Hmm. I don't know how many people would like that, but. Guess who leads the Leafs in five-on-five goals this year? David Camp. David Camp. Two. He's got to be tied with Nylander. Probably. Tied with Tavares. He has two. No one else has more than one. highest is one. Oh, my. That's bad. Some of that's a a rough streak, too, from the top guys. That's that's the reason I'm not overly worried is because the – Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say you could have you could have given a goal to Marner or uh, Austin Matthews Marner in that game bar. last like yeah. last night. They had post post and a crossbar, hit two crossbars on like, one shot. There happens. was a play I posted on Instagram. Like Sandine fed, uh, I think it was Sandine fed Matthews on a one timer. Hellebuck was screened, did not see anything, was looking around and like was very very late to the shot. And Matthews had a wide open net that we've seen him we've seen him beat goalies at their best. And he whiffed on a wide-open net one-timer and then got the puck back. And then I think Mr. Hellebuck made the save. Like, yeah. it, there has been some crazy unfortunate luck, but, like, one point for Matthews at 5-on-5 five five this year, that's that's insane. Yeah, it's crazy, but I'm not worried. Again, like, I, we've seen what he can do. So I'm more yeah. worried about the rest of the roster. Exactly. Like I was that's becoming, where, that's where the worry should lie. Because yeah. if you look at, like, the balancing out effect, right? I think the goal is going to get slightly worse, and I think the top line is going to score mm-hmm. significantly more. So that's going to balance out. So like, there's not this level of play is going to sustain, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you get more supplementary scoring. Yeah. yeah. And it's it shouldn't be from David Camp. Well, that's why that's why Nick Robertson was so important to me this summer. Yeah. Really, 
They, you said it. How many guys do they have that with a shot that just off velocity can beat a goalie? Not a lot. Not a lot. And they had one sitting there. And now, like, now guess, honestly, now, now it, guess who they got. If they didn't bring him up against Dallas, I, I wonder how this week would have gone if, oh, if yeah. he wasn't in the lineup against oh, yeah. Dallas. I wonder. That's where I'm also wondering. Like, Alex Steves, if the, if the bottom six continues to stink and he has a big weekend this week, Get him this weekend, there. like, I don't know. He scored. He, Why can't he play he third scoring. line left wing? I don't know. <laughs> there are some, like, Again, like Nick Robertson, there is some fine-tuning that needs to be done with his game. But that's, like, why not? Like, he brings something that the other depth players on the Leafs don't have. Yeah, and and, and those like guys... Hit, yeah. Yeah, sorry, go no, on. No, I was going to say, those guys have had their opportunity. And if like, let's see if he can swim. That's it. Simple as that, right? Like, I don't like to swear on this, but, like... Like, I understand these guys are all on one ways. All Malgin, Kerfoot, Abeku... Or, sorry, Malgin... Abe Kubel, Aston Reese, all these guys. They're all on one ways. If Alex Steves has another big weekend for the Marlies and those guys do nothing, fuck you. Put Alex Steves in. He is a better hockey player than you. I don't give a shit that you fucking dented the cup. These guys have been terrible. Whoa. Yeah. And also, it's not even like that. It's uh, it's also not even like a, a problem of cap. Like we can just now they can call up whoever they want. <laughs> they can call up literally the entire Marlies if <laughs> they can, want to. We can afford to trade for PLD. We have so yeah. much cap. No. Yeah, but I, it'll be interesting with uh, Jake Muzzin. We've passed the three game mark for IR with him, so now we're in the three to ten game window, which is uh, a regular IR to long term IR. So we'll see if he's not skating by game six. We'll I think, I think it's fair they didn't put him on LTIR right away. I saw, like, Darren Dreger no, was wondering one. why. But clearly they want to just see – they have the cap space already. They just want to see how he's doing. They don't want to yeah. They don't want to give him, like, the the whole, oh, you're done already. Like, let him see how he's doing day by day. That's not something that had to be done. Yeah, and, and also I'm sure that – again, I said this before. I'm sure the NHL is, like, with LTIR situation and with the Kucherov situation from two years ago, I'm sure they're going to look more into long-term injured reserve guys who are out for the season, come back for playoffs, if that is a scenario that happens. Yeah, exactly. Um, as well. But one more thing to get into before the uh, we finish off with this game. Um, I just wanted to touch on this. Like we touched a lot about the depth, but I want to reiterate how like much we're missing Jason Spezza, and I noticed that incredibly at the end of the game because Ooh. he is always he was always that guy on the ice. And as much as I loved Michael Bunting on the ice out there, who was the the sixth man instead of Jason Spezza, normally Jason Spezza would have been out there. As much as I love Bunting out there, it's like. Having that guy who was so clutch to finish those chances for you was such a uh, low key like uh, edge for the Leafs at the end of the game. I, I don't know if this is anecdotal. I, I don't. Know, I can't remember how it's many not. games he's like scored for so us. So when over you that go time. back and you watch the Ottawa game from the second game of the last year, and then go back and watch the Minnesota game, Minnesota game especially, I've never seen just life come into someone like we did with Jason Spezza there. But it's not anecdotal, especially because when you look at Michael Bunting's game, his his, his skill set is like grinded out, Around grinded out on the corners, grinded out in the middle, in, in front of the net, right? We can't have John Tavares there doing something similar. What was Jason Spezza's strong suit? On that wall, baby. On the wall, Far, further out, he was able to hit you with that slap pass. He was able to take a rocket clapper bar down and have the goalie just kind of throw his hands up like, I, I can't stop that, right? He's He was a further out threat. Now who's really the further out threat 
on that six-on-five situ situation specifically, they don't really have one. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Like, I, I know you want to get your top six guys out there, but you need to look at the mix that you have. Like, you can't have all those guys kind of doing that. Maybe Nylander can kind of more so fill that hole, but, like, do you look at putting Robertson out there? Well, they did. Once it, once it went to a power play, yeah. they did put Robertson out there. And I think that might have been... Well, that, that was only because bunting wasn't allowed to go back onto right, the ice, Right, you're right. That's a great, great point. Because That's he 100% was, correct. I don't know if it was because he was hurt. Because he was hurt, yeah. Because the trainer came on to look at him when he got high stick. Yeah. Which means you can't... You got It's like losing your helmet in football. Uh, football, yes. you got to take a... Play. That's a great point. I totally forgot that is, about that. Because yeah. I remember seeing Robertson out there. But you're right. Their intent was bunting, so... Um, and then also piggybacking off of that, five minutes left in the game, we got we the got a little Mitch bit. Marner on defense yes. experience. And what uh, happened? I'd like to uh, grab that, put that in a bag, find the nearest dump, throw that, light it on fire, and pretend like I never saw that because, that oh my God, was that incredibly bad. stupid? Like, no offense, that was really really dumb. Josh, we were watching the game together. You made a great point, so I'm just going to reiterate that point here by doing that. You essentially got rid of a second of, of your second line shift. So instead of having your first line shift, yeah, first first or second line shift, whichever. No, Matthews way. was off for like three minutes or two that's, minutes, something crazy. That's crazy. But he jumped on and then jumped off to put him back together with his nine. It was, it's it was insane. Bad. But he, he, hear me out. Would you rather have a line of like um, let's say a minute of Marner, Matthews, Nylander, uh, Riley, and John Tavares, and then a minute of Bunting, Kerfoot? Who was who else was it? Brody. Uh, so yeah, it was Giordano. exactly what Josh was saying in earlier episodes. Why he didn't want to see it. The drop off between the set first line, or sorry, the first, the top five or top four forwards for the Leafs, top five forwards for the Leafs, and then the rest, the rest. of them is a very big drop off in terms of skill set, scoring ability, and everything. When you put Marner on defense, you're putting him in a different position. He's less effective in that position. So you're kind of taking an edge off of Marner, and then you are able to play Nylander, Matthews, Bunting, or Tavares, or whoever you want to put there. But then you're, the next line that goes out there is not going to be as effective, right? Nowhere near. Like so, yeah, it, it, it really, really did not work. I wanted to see it happen from the preseason. I was interested to see how it would look, interested to see how it would work. Uh, and it was horrible. It was literally terrible. It was horrible. I'd rather them just go five forwards at that point if they were going to do that. Like, actually, like, there's no point of, like, I don't know. Because there, there was a play specifically, I remember, where Riley, like, did not pinch at the blue line. Because I, I have to assume because he was worried having Mitch Marner as his partner. And they just got a free zone exit. And it's like, mm -hmm. if you're not going to do that, like, if you're not going to pressure in the zone, what what's the point? What's the purpose? They're, like, what's the purpose here? It's what crazy. What doing here? Craziness. But, um, yeah, I agree. Light it on fire. Well, yeah, we just the, the pro you agree. We repeated your points. The problem was what I almost suspected was that Mitch Marner is better as a forward than as a D. And you put Mitch Marner on D, and did he play forward or did he play D? He played defense. It wasn't like, oh, we got Rover and Mitch Marner going nuts. No, no, no. He just played defense. Yeah. Like they got buried in the zone. He was able to make a nice play to exit. And then on the wall, he wasn't like activating to the cycle. When he was holding the blue line, he just took the puck and like chipped it back in like any other defenseman would do. Yeah. So again, he's just better as a forward. Like it was so frustrating to watch that. Honestly, 
It was so far. Just put Marner and Matthews on the ice. Easy. It's hilarious because they also cut to Keefe after that shift. And it honestly looked like the bench looked like they were embarrassed, honestly. I was embarrassed watching it. Yeah, I don't it know. Tough. It was tough to watch. I see it, but then it, uh, it really backfired. Let's say this. I appreciate the creativity. Yes. But where was that creativity when Jake Muzzin was on LTIR and they could have kept him and added another player? There's a lot of real little edges you could take in the NHL. You're not the first team to look for an edge. Other teams have had little edges before, and they've worked. Yeah. But I know that's not an apples-to-apples comparison, but I'm just saying, like, if you want to talk about being, like, forward-thinking and innovative, like, I don't know. that There's other ways the Leafs can do that as opposed to putting Mitch Marner on D. Putting him forward on defense. Yeah. Um, we didn't get into him at all. I tried to... Wanted to transition, but um, what have you guys thought of uh, Victor Mete so far? I think that's kind of good that we haven't, like, that he's not at the forefront of our mind. You're the sixth defenseman. You don't want to be at the forefront of our minds, right? Because then that chances are you're not making the right moves. So little things-wise, seems like he's doing the right thing. Um, I haven't really gotten the closest look to him. Uh, he, he hasn't he's gave at up the forefront of my mind because I've just been, I've been zoning in on him. Fair it. enough, fair <laughs> enough. But he, he hasn't been made any colossal big negative plays and that's kind of what you want from a sixth defenseman he looks like so good, good looks like a good little pickup maybe we'll see yeah he's a fine seventh seventh for the leafs like if they need him to be that um i was more concerned about the way giordano played the last two games yeah he's not been very good which he, is weird but yeah. i think he like he's moved the puck fine kind of not i don't want to say messed yeah. up mike johnson made a point where he on the third Vegas goal, it was a bad change, but he should have played it as a two-on-one, which I agree with, but also it was kind of... did that. Yeah. Yes. It, but it like, was a bad change. It was like a s- split-second decision. He just made the wrong one, right? And that happens. Yeah. Um, but other than that, he's been pretty pretty fine for me. Like He's doing all the stuff we thought he would do well, which is quickly move the puck up the ice, pretty responsible with the puck. And other than that, it's... Yeah. He's, he's been aggressive in the neutral zone. Uh, he had one play... Uh, he had one play in the offensive zone. I think it was in the first period, I want to say. He had two really nice keep-ins, yeah. and that led to Matthews hitting the crossbar post. And then after that, he kept it in again. They were able to get another good chance there. So we've seen him use his skating to his advantage um, and to make pretty aggressive plays in the neutral zone. I thought the game against Vegas, he didn't play very well. He had a couple good plays here and there, but... Overall, I think he ended up with four turnovers. There was a really bad turnover behind the net that ended up in a good chance in front that Samsonov made a very nice save. But, I mean, I thought against Winnipeg he played well, and Dallas he played very well as, as well. I mean, we saw it in like his first or second shift. He jumps up in the play with Pierre Engvall, and Engvall gets it over to him, and he almost scores. Like, that was pretty encouraging, I got to say. But, yeah, so far, for a good, he's been a good fill-in. Yeah. The Leafs have given him... Uh, a good situation to be in. I just think the again the problem is like the rest of the decor right now, right? Like oh yeah, yes. that second line has been very very up and down. Sandin Hall second second pairing, yes. And who do you attribute most of that to? Like it, it, one of the issues that I've seen has been their entry defense. So they have not defended the blue line well whatsoever, and that's like Justin Hall has been terrible. He's the bigger defenseman. He should be better at it in theory. He has been horrible. And Sandine has also not been very good as well. But Sandine has been able to make it up offensively. He's been pushing the puck up up pushing the puck up ice 
pretty well all, all week, I would say. But, like, there's been some gaffes in their own end. And, like, there's been – like, defensively, they've been not very good. It hasn't been up to the standards of a second line. No, and it's just weird to watch them because, in my opinion, both those guys are offensive defensemen. I know yeah. they think Justin Hall is a all, Justin Hall is an offensive defenseman. He's not yeah. a great one. That's all he is. Like Sandin's more physical than him, way more physical, which is crazy to see. Um, Sandin, I think it was the first shift of the Vegas game, was just like a chicken with his head cut off running around the ice, yeah. um, which he's kind of prone to do. But he's young. I like that he's being more physical. Again, neither of those guys are particularly good at defending the zone. But I've seen Sandin break up way more zone entries in the time together than Justin Hall has. Yeah, he has. So, and uh, Justin Hall is like, a, he's the Pierre Engvall of defensemen. Like, that's, there's nothing else to say. And I know he's an easy target, but there's, there's a reason why he's an easy target. Ooh, against the Jets, <laughs> listen to these entries against. This is from Cam Sharon. This is his tracking here. So, Sandine, attempts seven controlled entries against. He had one. Wow. That's fantastic. Justin Hall, 10 attempts against. Seven controlled entries against, which was second worst on the Leafs to Mark Giordano, who had eight against. So fails. So breakups, like what you mentioned, Rasmus Sandin had four, Justin Hall had zero. Victor Mete had three. This is just from the Jets game. So that's from the Jets game? Yeah. From the Winnipeg game? Uh, I'm looking at that as well. This is the Winnipeg Sorry, game. sorry. Excuse me. The Vegas Golden Knights game. There you go. Uh, the, Justin Hall had seven entries against. Zero failed. So that means he's six controlled entries for six controlled entries. So he's yet to deny an entry to two games. So maybe let me let me jump on that with the one more stat. From those controlled entries he's given up, they've given up sixteen scoring chances in two games off entries against Justin Hall. Sixteen eeks. One in the same time, Sandin's given up Thank one chance. Thank you to Cam for tracking this. Oh my yeah, god! Huge. So essentially, Justin Hall is allowing them to enter the zone and then giving up chances afterwards. Correct. Which is just a total nightmare, especially for someone playing in your second pairing there. Correct. Yeah. Oh my god! Nine. Jordan also had nine. He his yeah. last two games have been not good. It's been yeah. very bad. But that's it's okay. it's so crazy. I I, th- I think they just completely miscast Justin Hall. I think you're right with that. He's not. He's because he can play penalty kill people. People think he's a defensive defenseman. The big like eye opening. I think we posted on Instagram. It was like, what type of defenseman is Justin? Hall? Yeah. Well, no one knows. Literally, no. We, he's been on the team for like three hundred games. Nobody knows. I'm gonna allude back to what I said last podcast and what we said on what I said two Saturdays ago. It's just what Justin Hall could be. It's just he's an offensive. Maybe just an offensive defenseman. Who knows? But yeah. What did you say? You said on the podcast. I don't want to say. I'm not saying it. And he and he did. Like, do you remember him doing that or no? no I can't remember. Okay. Good. There, it was it was a um, liquid courage. Uh, the liquid courage came out is what it was like. What, what I, I was feel saying. like Anyways. you probably said he's like a just Morgan Riley two point or something. <laughs> is that what you said? No, not not exactly that, but like something. <laughs> yeah, something yeah, directionally yeah. correct. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think it's important to like piggyback piggybacking off of Justin Hall. I think it's important to like consider like we kept Justin Hall, right? We kind of expected him to get moved. I feel like I said in the offseason, I had a gut feeling he wasn't going to get moved. It looks like he's not getting moved, but um, especially with all our injuries. But we, he's had some good games. Before this week, he had some sure. good games. But, the, uh, but after that Ottawa game, he's been terrible. I still think he's not that bad of a defenseman. I just don't no. think he's the... Hold on. I just don't think he's the right defenseman for yeah, us. 
that's the thing. He's okay. just not even if he plays on the on the third line on the third defensive pairing, he's not the correct defenseman for us. And this takes us back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier is that we made a choice to keep him over a guy like Ilya Labushkin. And I think that overall might might we might be looking back and think that might have been a mistake because there was a real paradigm shift in our defense and how we played in front of the net when we got Ilya Labushkin. He helped out a lot clearing the front of the net and we have not done a good job of that at all since losing Muzzin this year. Well, I guess Muzzin only played two games, but yeah, like we have not done a good chance of that at all. And we're going to need, like, where, where's that paradigm shift coming from? We got it last year because we, we ended, pulling, ended up pulling off a great trade. And mind you, like, it was a good trade, but ended up being not a great trade for us because it was just ended up being a rental. We, we dumped Richie and got a rental. So it's like... It, it, That's actually a good way to put it. I mean, when you look at Labushkin versus Justin Hall, right? Labushkin's pretty good... Good defensively, good in front of the net, very physical, right? Justin Hall like has is better offensively, better offensive instincts, yeah, when, better when, moving the puck up. The when ice. it's clear for Hall, he can move the Labushkin puck. Labushkin is absolutely horrific in the offensive zone. He's terrible, terrible. Both do struggle to move the puck out of their own end, though, like severely. So we would still have that sort of issue. But what did we need coming into the season more? A guy who's better in front of his nets and better defensively or a guy with that offensive flair? Like, I don't know. Is, is, would you say his whole better penalty killing than Labushkin? I think he's got that reach. He's a better yeah, shot blocker. He's been a, a fine but, penalty killer for us. He's yeah. also on two separate occasions failed to clear a puck Flubbed out that it, has yeah. led to directly a to a goal. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true too. Which also is like a, an impact of maybe some bad luck or whatever. Yeah. But I remember in the playoffs talking about Labushkin, people not being thrilled with his play. Because, because one, yeah. he was playing with Morgan Riley. So when you're playing with Morgan Riley, he's zipping the puck up the ice and you're like kind of, he's chipping it off the board, simple play. But I understand that doesn't look good on the, on the stat, stat side. But look at Colorado. Did Eric Johnson look good on any stat card last year? Nope. What did he do for Colorado? <laughs> Glass and out. And what did he do in front of the net? Move everyone out. And what did they do? Win the Stanley Cup. Not because of Eric Johnson. No, not at all. He's a minor player on that team. But again, this point will keep coming up. You need to supplement the players correctly. And what Colorado did was they used Eric Johnson in very specific defensive situations. Sometimes it was with McCarr. Sometimes it was with Byram. Sometimes it was with Devin Taves. But he played a really solid role for them. Again, when you look at our D, you have Morgan Riley, who's offensive only. Let's say that. I don't even think we need to hide this. Morgan Riley is a dynamic, offensive-only defenseman. What do He's you think about Morgan Riley defending the rush? Hor- not great. Horrible. Horrible. Uh, Use a little more detail. Not just not. He hasn't been great. That's never been a strength of his. I yes. don't know what you want me to say. I don't know. I thought you could make something funny he, out of it because he is one of the worst defensemen he invites, I've ever seen. He invites the, the rush. He invites it. He says, come. Come to me. But come to me. And he looks shoot. like he's trying. He has the treadmill on 10 speed, and he's trying to turn around and go from running forward to backwards. Great point. <laughs> Great point. He's a dynamic, offensive-only defenseman. Yes. Okay? So you have that on your team. You have Rasmus Sandin, for, who, as of right now, is a good Transition the puck up the ice, the defenseman who brings a little physicality, but is not strong. Good cycle offense, too. For sure. But he's offensive leaning as well. Yes. Offensive does certain things well defensively, but yes, offensive leaning for sure. So you already have two offensive leaning, and that's fine. Timothy Lilgren, again, good transition player, 
Good at defending the rush as well. Not the strongest in front of the net. We saw that oh, a lot yeah. that last year. Yeah, he struggled. So there's three. TJ Brody, really good in transition. Does a lot of things really well defensively. Not the strongest in front, but good defensive defenseman. Good stick, which uh, which I think helps supplement his his oh, lack of strength Brody, yeah. in front of the net. Because yeah. he's not like a brooder who can just shove guys, yeah. right? Like So that's four. Then you have Mark Giordano, who's a... I think he's strong defensively, but he's a third third pairing two way defenseman. Yeah. So without Jake Muzzin, then you add Justin Hall, who, in my opinion, like we said, is an offensive defenseman. He's not strong defensively. So you have four offensive defensemen right now in your Leafs projected six man D core going forward, assuming Muzzin's going to miss an extended period of time. It's funny that like you are right. Like he is kind of like a Morgan Riley esque offense because. It's straight line up the ice, like carrying the puck and being able to take advantage of um, kind of lapsing defenses in the offensive zone by pinching in. Like, both don't have the biggest shot. Sneaky good passer as well. Sneaky good. Like, not amazing. Like, Sneaky in the offensive zone. Sneaky good passer, zone. not in his own end. Not yes. under pressure. Oh, no, he no. Can not make a stretch pass. Correct. He can, he can, I, I mean, in the offensive zone. Sorry. Yeah. Let me clarify that. Yeah. yeah. And, like, decent sense of, like, when to jump into the play. But again, but like the way you build an ideal decor, the position that Justin Hall is slotted by should be slotted by a defensive focused defense. Hundred percent. And yeah. and the funniest part is too, like this is no slight to Victor Mete, our seventh defenseman is also an offensive, offensive leaning. Yeah. So it's like okay, we've established that hey, maybe we we're pretty good at picking out these offensive leaning defensemen. So let's maybe not get rid of our only defensive defenseman in place of just keeping a. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Also, again, it's not good to compare to Colorado or Tampa, but Colorado, Kale McCarr is way better than any defenseman on the Leafs. Bowen Byram might be better than any defenseman on the Leafs. Probably. Sam Girard is probably, is he's like a little worse than a Morgan Riley, I would say. So those are offensive guys. Like if, if Morgan Riley was Kale McCarr and Rasmus Sandin was Bowen Byram, we could afford a Justin Hall, no doubt about it. But that's not what we're looking at right now. This defense core, like we've always said, it has to be a, a six-man unit. It has to be a sum of the parts are greater than the individual talent. One more point I want to make about this. Tampa Bay lost Ryan McDonough, right? And he was their targeted defensive defenseman, okay? Who did they replace him with with that cap number, Joe? I know this is kind of a controversial name, but I think it's fine Ian now. Cole. Ian Cole. What is Ian Cole's almost direct job on the Tampa Bay Lightning Defense. right now? Defense. That's it. Yeah. Nothing else needs to be said. And they have already good defensive defensemen, way better than the Leafs have. So it's a team build thing. It's the same idea as Engvall up front. Like we could go over this over and over again, but I think it's kind of sitting right in front of them. It's just a matter of whether they pull the trigger or not. So I've seen the name I've seen thrown out there to kind of help this Leafs defense out is Connor Murphy, but he's in the first year of a $4.4 million cap hit for four more years. That's not happening. We got a gift last year with Ilya Lubushkin. Ilya Lubushkin was like legit defensive impact wise. A with, gift that you had to pay a second round pick. Of, yeah, oh, first, so. I mean, a gift in the sense that like it's exactly what we needed, Nick, and he happened to be available. Had to give up Nick Ritchie too. Oh, who you know is, what? I forgot. About did that. have fourteen goals last year and yeah. has three goals in his first five games. But so. it's going to be hard again to replicate that move because like. Again, Ilya, not saying that's like looking around special, the league. But. I got an idea already. It just depends how good the team is. Ooh. But he also has not played that well for New Jersey, though. Can anyone guess Damon the guy? Severson? No. Siegenthaler? No. Okay. I mean, like, that I don't guy know. Would be has obvious. not played very well for New Jersey. Yeah. And is a defenseman. Yes. Well, no. But does he play the right side? Uh, No. 
Graves. Graves. Oh, that's true. Hmm. Well, yeah, Damon Severson has also not played very well, and he's a yeah, right correct. That, but I'm just saying, like, you need a dash th- six and six. You need games. a defensive defenseman, really. That's what they need. Hmm. So who is that? If uh, is it Nick Jensen from Washington also hasn't played that well this year? No. Also hasn't played that well for his contract. No, not yeah. He hasn't played very well at all in Washington. If Florida ends up becoming a stinker, let's maybe not happening. Not happening. Oh well, let's see who. Ratko Gudas. Oh, I like that one. I like that one. I like that. Maybe he's a UFA, so it's like if they look like they're not making it, like I don't know. Yeah. All right. What other chances of them not making it is very low, though? But yeah. Yeah, they're. I think they'll probably make no moves on D as long as Muzzin's healthy. Shocker. Uh, Shoot. I kind of need to, though. Um, Anyways, with my point with Labushkin also, I mean, $2.75 million over two years for a third-pairing defenseman that's, like, bringing that physicality, you're paying way too much for a 5'6 defenseman there. For sure. When you look at all these Stanley Cup teams and how they're built, they're not paying that much for a third-pairing defense. Maybe you could argue, okay, David Savard a few years ago with Tampa. All right, it was a trade deadline acquisition. Sure, that is kind of comparable. But it's like, you know, I think that's a lot but of money to be giving. Perspective. Who guy. signed him? Uh, the Sabres. How, so do you know how far the Sabres are from the cap? Yeah. They're $18 million below the cap. Yeah, they had to go out and get Ben Bishop, like who is not playing hockey. And honestly, for them, I think that's a smart signing yeah. because you can take some tougher minutes away from Darlene and Owen Power. Exactly. So. And also, like, if you wanted to, he's only 28. Justin Hall right now, like, if we're just going to compare the two, Justin Hall to Ilya Labushkin, Justin Hall's 30, going to be 31 at the end of his deal. You could have signed Labushkin who would, to three years and brought him down that number to under two, probably. My thing is, my what I was saying was, yeah. like, still, that's kind of a lot. 100%, but... But Justin Hall might be looking at be a lot right now too, yeah, right? No, so hmm. if you had to compare the two, if you were to get either at similar numbers, yeah. who would you, you choose to have right Labushkin now? Labushkin more than you yeah. need Hall on yeah, this yeah. roster. It's also, like point. no doubt, Labushkin can be flipped next year by Buffalo for a second or third round for pick. Sure. All right, if they're not, they're, they're not good. They're they're, <laughs> they're playing not bad right they're now. Playing not bad, they're not bad at not all. Bad. Who's the goalie, yeah, Mister Comrie? Eric Comrie. Huh? Yeah, he's. Really you know, coming into you his You know own. who else played well last night? Sorry to jump topics. Oh. Chucky Lindgren. He d- oh, he finally got in a game again? Oh, my God. He won his first game as a Washington Capitol against That was his second start. It's crazy that it's taken that long. I mean, like, I understand you paid all that money to Kemper, but Lindgren was awesome against the Leafs. He looks really good. I wouldn't be surprised if he squeezed a couple more starts out of that. Should. Tandem. Should. That's, that's quite interesting that he he had another solid game there. All right. I want to so, get the numbers from, but he was really good. I don't know what the numbers were, but yeah, take a look. So uh, upcoming for the Leafs, we got uh, Thursday, a nice late game, ten thirty p.m. Eastern time w- with San Jose. Uh, then they got L.A. on the Saturday, and then Sunday, well, back to back Saturday, Sunday, eight p.m. We have the Anaheim Ducks. Is it eight or five? We had this eight, and then Carolina's five p.m. the next weekend. Got it, got it. That's uh, another fun one. So upcoming, I mean. It's not the toughest schedule. LA is not that good. <laughs> like, Anaheim's terrible. <laughs> no. San Jose is also terrible. San Jose They've is kind of ter- gotten off the mat though eh. after their Euro. It, it's uh, the Euro trip over. wasn't good. They came back. They weren't good, but they're kind of figuring it out right now. I wonder if they give us James Reimer. 
Uh, based off previous history, if I was on that team, I would not give us James Reimer. No, I would not either. But, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, L.A., I mean, again, like like we said, low goalie regression happening there. Anaheim, they're just not built very well. But you never know. I mean, goalies love to get up and play well for the Leafs. So we'll let's see. Let's put it this way. The Leafs are playing two teams who are in the Bedard sweepstakes. Yeah. And a third team that's a fringe playoff team. I know they're on the road, so let's dock that. Should be minimum four points. An average performance should be maybe five points. And a good performance is winning all three games. Blowing all three teams out <laughs> yeah. of the water yeah. is a good performance. That's yeah. the bar. Yeah. Right? But then again, it is the regular season. Like, so don't lose your mind if they lose one game. Right? Just makes there's 82 games. It's a long <laughs> I got a text from my cousin. I was like, "Oh, did you watch last night?" He's like, "He's like, no, I couldn't. It's a, uh, it's a long regular season." The word we've gotten from some right. Leaf fans, shout out Mr. Nick Guida, is it's a bit of an uninspiring regular season so far, which I think is fair to say. It's unfortunate, but it's fair to say. It's. I remember that when the Leafs first started getting good, and when they weren't good, there were teams that were like, "Oh, I don't care about the regular season." Like I remember Pittsburgh fans or. Washington fans at that. It's like, oh, who cares? Regular season. It's like, what do you mean? Like hockey. Well, how about now? Like, it's unfortunate, but because of the way that they've lost so many years in a row, the regular season doesn't have the same oomph. But they didn't go out and get like, they don't have like that. Like Robertson's good, but they don't have like that Mason McTavish coming up or it's like Owen Power coming up where it's like, oh, like going to tune in for that. Like, I guess people have gotten fatigued with how good some of the players are on the Leafs. And there was nothing really new and shiny coming in. I right? just, I also think again, like some of the bottom six players had like their starts to the season have been uninspiring as well. Like, like you said, like it would have been nice if Engvall showed up and was like really physical winning puck battles had like two or three points. And it's like, wow, that's really fun to watch. Like there's been nothing. Engvall doing just skating laps in the offensive zone, <laughs> just speed skating out there. It's pretty much what he's been doing. What was the drive-by that you, you posted? It There's was... two. JT Bourne posted one, and then I posted one as well. And like people were like, what, is he supposed to charge? Is he supposed to charge the guy and just put him through the boards and take a penalty? Or was he supposed to hit him from behind? It's like, no, slow up and make him feel like you are there. Just touch a him. Good hit, touch like him. A good player that hits a lot, it's not going to – like hits don't directly correlate to anything. I will say that. They do not. However – when you have a player that's physical coming in on you and the play, uh, on the defender and they're going to crunch that defender, they're going to be thinking twice before they move that. They're not going to be throwing that puck as accurately as if Pierre Engvall is going to come and lick them or whatever he does. He doesn't even get close enough to lick them. You got some good interaction on that tweet about another brutal drive-by there. It, it was a drive-by. Like but here, here's the dichotomy of like hockey Twitter right now. You, that tweet got the same amount of likes as another guy saying, is the injury or penalty risk worth that hit with five seconds left and an easy reverse with nobody else in the play? That's not the point. Like, hockey is still a physical game. Yeah. Like, And even the guy who replied to me was like, he did see the numbers there. I'm like, sure, awesome. He finished shoulder to shoulder with them, and Engvall has zero hits. He has eight hits on the year. Five of them came in one game. Yeah. And, and he... Like, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt if you're actually making contact with anything, not speed skating around the ice like he, he has been. And again, like his physical tools, 
Like that guy, if he played in the OHL and he got like 50 points, the first round pick. You know he's what I mean? Sh- like, he's 6'5", and he's shredded. 6'5", shredded, 230. He just doesn't have that part of his game. And I don't think you can really teach We thought he was going, like, remember against Tampa, he got into a fight, like, thought maybe there was going to be a little bit more, but then, yeah, we've, we've regressed this year, which is really Well, sad. again, if you listen to our podcast all summer, we kind of hinted at, hey, like, this is kind of the way 35 this is going. 35 points is, yeah, it's a little high. Yeah, like a point would be nice from him right about now. So we'll see. We'll see what the lineup decisions they make. I mean, do you have any guesses? I think I think Clifford Simmons stay in for next game. I really do. They had a good performance against the Jets. I think that'll help them to carry over for one more game. I think maybe Abe Kubel gets the rotation yeah. in on the third line. Does that make for sense? Sim- then for Engvall. Yeah, yeah, that's what it would be. I don't be. think Engvall should play. There's not. He didn't do anything to anything. deserve that spot. Anything. I also wouldn't mind seeing Simmons on that third line for a little yeah. bit, just to give him a little bit of energy. Maybe Mal. Uh, it's I actually, honestly, again, it is not a good sign that these guys are playing prominent roles this early. It is really not. Yeah. I wonder if Malgin's on the trip with them, if maybe they give him that opportunity on the third line, like just kind of rotate through everyone. But we'll see. The only thing I'd be worried about is the temptation to move Robertson off of the second line, which which no, is there's crazy. No there's, there's more no likely they split up the first line than the second that's line. That's right two now. points. There's no if they that's if they do that, that is absolutely like nuts. Winnipeg was okay. a decent game there. And like so two goals against Dallas. Winnipeg was a decent game. It wasn't bad at all. It was pretty solid. And then an assist last night. He played good last which, night too. I'm not suggesting that they do it. I just wonder if they do. Because if they do that, leave him in California. With Lincoln, wait, what? If they if they take Robertson oh, off the Link, like leave, next game, Link, if next Link game Kiffin, pregame, yeah. Robertson's off that line, leave him in California. Like I'm sorry, that's inexcusable. Sheldon Keith, not Sheldon Keith. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, why would you leave Robertson under contract? I, you have to bring him back. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I do feel the keep hot seat things are just gonna linger a little bit until they really take yeah. off this year. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. I, I still don't think he'll. No, no. Uh, if it gets bad, no. but I wonder, like, if it's just middling, what will happen? Hmm. I don't know. I just, I really wonder. gut feeling. No, no. So it's, uh, it's definitely a topic. It's it's like an ace in the hole, though, in the NHL. It really is. Like that a coach gets fired. Yeah. Eventually, you have to. Like if it's not working, every team's done it. Really, yeah. almost every single team. It's crazy. Has done He's, it. Sheldon Keith's one of the most tenured coaches in the NHL right now. Like tenured, with, like with their current yeah. team. And he got upset in two playoff series and, and one play in. Yeah, one play in, one playoff series, and then lost last playoff series. I I really think if they don't come out with at least four points on this road trip, it'll keep coming. Ooh. Like it'll, if they like win one, go one and two, even it'll be loud. Oh, very. Especially that weekend, that back-to-back Saturday, Sunday, like yeah. there's going to be some some uh, eyeballs on those two games. Yeah, yeah. How All do right. we? How, yeah, I was just going to want to ask how should we, we should deploy Shalgren and uh, Samsonov in the Play back-to-back. Samsonov ever? Uh, oh, sorry. No, I th- I th- I think he'll 
Samson you off first. You should get one one of these games. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It's a back-to-back. He'll, yeah. Yeah. he'll probably get uh, Sunday. Shogun on Sunday. He'll get okay. Sunday. Just because some trends in the NHL. We've seen some other teams play their backup. Like Dallas yeah, did it Yeah, true. Dallas, Dallas has been playing Ottinger on the second night of back-to-back. Yeah. But, I mean, this is like the, the Ducks are clearly a weaker team. Yeah. That's where I would do. That's why I would do that. But, yes, you're correct. They played Wedgwood against Ottawa. And they played Wedgwood against Toronto. And they played Wedgwood against Toronto. That's a very good point, too. He's a pretty good goalie. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Um, I think that's all we got for today. Do you guys have any closing notes here? No. No. Let's get six points. Six points, baby, and That'd then we'll be, nice. be back before Philadelphia on the Wednesday. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Go Leafs, go.